0: Hello and welcome back to the latest edition of the AA Ireland podcast. As ever, I'm joined by Paddy Common. Hello. Thank you for joining us. We have a very, very busy one for you today. Now, the big interview that we have this week is with Kevin Dowling. Now, he is by day international head of pre-sales for Stripe, but by night he's the Irish EV Owners Association chairman. Looking forward to that interview with him. But Paddy, we also want to talk about a few cars that we've been driving. We're going to touch on car dependency, a lot of discussions about that in the last couple of weeks. We'll leave that there for now. Just a bit. The IDT preview happened. Uh, March fuel price is going to be coming out as well to keep an eye on that. But the first thing that we want to do before we kick things off is just thank you, the listeners. We have been rising up in the charts and it's obviously down to people like yourself who are listening, spreading the word. So if you are If you have the opportunity, please do share, like and even if you can leave a review on whatever platform you are using,
1: we would really appreciate it. And do please subscribe on whatever platform you listen to us, be it Apple Podcasts or Spotify. It really does make a difference. So thank you. In the event that your car requires mechanical assistance, the AA offers our customers the ability to log a breakdown in our app, log a rescue in the app within minutes and have an AA patrol at the scene to assist you in approximately 90 minutes browse the AA app today to obtain great discounts from our partners, which includes perks like discounted fuel at selected Circle K garages across the country.
0: Let's stop begging people for things, Paddy, and kick <laughs> on and talk about some of the cars that we've been driving because the last two episodes that we did were kind of one-off specials. Obviously, there was International Women's Day and then we have the one about car dependency and we're going to touch on that later as well. But yeah, so what, what Paddy, uh, we've a long list in front of us there, so let's kind of just get through these today. Uh you want to kick things off yourself there with the the MG4 you had a couple of weeks ago?
1: Yeah, I was um, delighted by that car because I wasn't sure whether it was going to meet the hype because obviously there's been a lot of discussion about the car. It's won lots of awards. Irish Times actually meant, uh, named it as their overall car of the year. And uh, often with these things you think, oh, is it going to be overhyped? But it's so good. What a great car. Like, I mean, it really ticks every single possible box the price is good the spec is good it looks good the build quality is excellent and as an EV at its core job it excels
0: yeah it, I, I fully agree with you everything you just said I, you know also at the same time let's not get carried away it's not absolutely brilliant it's absolutely brilliant for the price like because it's just coming in at that price point and doing what it does is just incredible
1: but it it it's better than some cars that are ten grand more than it,
0: oh yeah absolutely, and that's it what I' mean. Straight
1: about it. like it's yeah. much better than the i d three and you know that's a car which is forty grand, so it's better than that in our certainly in my view anyway, personal opinion, but it's 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 a really, really excellent thing, and it's now one of those cars that will become a genre. it's do you know the way you used to say, well, you know something like a golf the m g four is now its own. Genre, it's like oh well, you could get something like an MG four for the same money. Yeah, you know how many times have we said that over the past few months?
0: Yeah, it's become a little bit of a a benchmark, dare I say?
1: Yeah, hundred percent. And and it's um, it's one of those cars that is now going to transform that brand because it's so good that people are going to suddenly pay an awful lot more respect to that brand, and as they should, and also to Chinese cars. Anyone who is naive, silly. Enough to uh, think, oh, I wouldn't drive a Chinese car or be snobby about them. Go and drive that and come back to us. Yeah,
0: yeah. If you're listening to this, take it out for a test drive if you can. Just experience it. Um, kicking on, then around the same time I had the Ford Mustang Mach-E, oh. which I just really, really liked.
1: Your first experience of the car, I've I've had one before. Um, I was curious as to, yeah, you really took to it. And I had sort of forgotten a bit about it because it was quite a while since I'd driven it and I got into it as a passenger with you. And it's quick. It handles really well. I'm not so sure about that screen in the middle, but it's a lovely thing. It I really like. I liked the screen. It, I,
0: it worked for me. I, the but like it was big. I don't like
1: the yeah. Let me let me. I suppose clarify. I don't like the but the volume button at the bottom. I imagine that's going to be an issue, like, and how can you replace that and little things that like that that bothers me, but um
0: yeah, I know my two toddlers' feet yeah. would have something oh. to say about that as they climbed around for sure, yeah, overall though I had a great experience with it I mean, just so comfortable it could take ramps those little bumps so well yet it could handle a little bit if it thrown into corners the range was really, really good on it I just just really liked it I mean as that's going down as one of my my preferred cars and so it hasn't sold old.
1: if you look at the numbers, they're really poor price. Mm, it's expensive and even in today's context and look we're going to end up talking about it at some stage but the thing that keeps popping up is Tesla. Because of the price changes to Tesla everything is now through the prism of Tesla pricing. So you look at a Mustang Mach-E for how much was your one that you had? It was close to 80 grand. And now you know is there a Tesla for bar, Bardi S An X, you know, so can you have a Model Y performance and a a lot of change? And change.
0: Like, let me just do quick maths in my head. You could nearly have the basic MG4 and a basic Model Y for
1: that. I can't wait to see what happens at the end of this month. This March is the sort of one of the monthly deliveries for Tesla. We haven't seen very much Tesla activity. Let's see how they do this month, because I think that's going to give us an indication as to... uh, whether the pricing has really worked for them.
0: Yeah, I wonder, will the batch that followed the price drop come through around now? I don't. I haven't looked into that yet, but yeah, we'll certainly see numbers picking up uh, a lot shortly.
1: Or a funky cat. How yeah. about that one?
0: Yeah, I'm just out of it. Um, I only dropped it back a few days ago. The video, uh, the review is going to be up online in the next couple of days. So. I yeah uh, now oh, stop me if I get carried away here but I, I wanted to absolutely love it I, I was you. prepared to say this is incredible everybody run out and buy it straight away and I, I, I couldn't get to that stage there's so much better that I love look it's different how many mid-sized SUVs are we looking at on the road today hardly inspiring then this comes along and it's just a breath of fresh air really
1: yeah I know what you're saying I took it at the end of the week you'd had it most of the week and then I jumped into it to go to Cork at the weekend I did a little bit of a range test on it. There was just things about it that annoyed me. Uh the infotainment system, the the way that you access menus on it was kind of maddening. And how like we all have experience, you and I have both have a significant experience of driving EVs and dealing with range. The guessometer if you like, if that's the phrase for it just really threw me because
0: yeah no i'm going to let you say your your, your yeah. piece but i want to follow it up straight after but go ahead
1: it just i suppose the performance was quite different regardless of the gasometer but i was 20 kilowatt hours per 100 kilometers on one direction 15 in the other direction and this isn't a very big car so it was quite significant differences in performance from one car on on one route so that sort of bothered me slightly
0: but well, I would say that any vehicle would consider that if you're going into a strong headwind and you're coming back with a tailwind, you're going to, you're going to see that swing. And we saw it with another recent test we're putting a video out with, with already. And the, and sorry, the one thing I wanted to follow up with there was, and this isn't a criticism of what you said, it's just what happens in general is that people look at the guess and this is the Bible. It's not, it's a guide. Like you, we, we both know if you get into an EV, you drive it really carefully around town and then you go on a motorway at full tilt in winter. The difference is about half. And that's going to happen to a large extent with any vehicle. How you drive it, you know. So people get in and they say, oh, I've got 300 kilometres. No, you don't. You've got, let's say, 75%. That could be 200. That could be 400 kilometres.
1: Well, then is something wrong with the way this is done. Because you look, look at the people who potentially will buy the Aura Funky Cat. There are going to be people who've never driven an EV before. There are going to be people who think, oh, this will be kind of fun and quirky. And... If they think, you know, if they charge up like I did to 80% in Junction 14 and I'd look like I would get to Middleton with 100 kilometres to spare and I barely make it. Like that experience for people, rightly or wrongly, and is is going to throw them. And someone who's not very experienced is not going to have a pleasant time sweating and wondering, oh, what do I do now? So Because that doesn't happen in a petrol or diesel car. It just doesn't happen. And, and you know, whether we like it or not, that's going to be something that is going to be tricky for people to get over.
0: Because we don't use the gasometer in petrol diesel cars. No. you look down, you've got half a tank. You you don't look down and go, I've got 600 kilometers of range left. It's a half a tank. And we should be doing that with EVs. And I agree with you something is wrong. because an electric car, no more than me or you, can predict the future. No. So you can't tell that if you tell, if there was a way to tell the car, I'm going on the motorway now, it'll go, oh, yeah, you will only get about 200 kilometers. Or perhaps there's a range guide. So if you've got 50%, the car will say somewhere between 200 and 300. So yeah, something needs to be changed. But I I, I just, you see it so often, people getting into electric cars and go, I told me I had 400 now only got 300 no that was a guide <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, based on how you've been driving roughly so we do need to look at that and it's, it's part of a much wider education piece
1: yeah well, I mean, look car itself was 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 good the boot's small the equipment levels are astonishingly good it's quite engaging to drive I didn't like the tires on it I would change them if I bought the car immediately but uh, you know overall a really nice thing
0: yeah and really have to welcome it into the market it's something a bit different so another recent one we had is the Skoda Enyaq Coupe, now very, very similar, you know, identical underneath the bones to the, the regular Enyaq. So we've both got experience with it. Um, Paddy, you're in a little bit as well, more so as a passenger, but uh, what did you make of it? Lovely thing.
1: I mean, I owned an Enyaq for just over a year. I really liked it. And this was more the same, really. I think a prettier car, really, really good looking car. And it looks like they've tidied up the infotainment system a little bit better. It seemed a, bit, a little bit slicker than the car that I had. But, um, look, lovely thing. And very impressed by how it performed on our little range test in terms of Ace versus the, the diesel Kodiak. We'll talk about that a little bit later on. But, um, look, lovely thing. If you can get your hands on one, it's it's just one of those cars that just takes a lot of boxes. It does everything right. Price is not fun, but... Uh, some people, you know, are going to be looking at the monthly payment. They're not going to be looking at the sticker price. Yeah, I really enjoyed
0: it. I really, really liked it. And and the review uh, just went up yesterday, I think. And one of my summary comments was, I'm struggling to find fault with this. I'm just nitpicking at this stage. Perhaps the price, but brilliant.
1: And one of the last cars we look at to catch up on is the Toyota BZ4X. Now, you um, got a brief spin in one, thanks to Malone's uh, Toyota Androheda. What was your verdict? I thought it was good.
0: Uh, they haven't set the market light now. I I, I would criticise Toyota for being so slow to the party to the EV party. They um, you know they have been making EVs for a while under license in China, and we've seen a couple of vans coming in, but uh, we haven't seen much in the way of full EV from them. They've been focusing on their their hybrids. So it was great to see them come along, um, and the car overall was just. It was just good it was just nice um you know there was nothing amazing about it in any particular way but i think in essence that that might be its strength it's a toyota they've got the brand recognition people are going to get into it they're going to feel familiar feel comfortable and they go yeah this is a nice place to place to start my electric journey so Paddy, i think it's time to kick things on and go to the the main interview with kevin dowling so we're really looking forward to to this now we'll play it for you and let's see what you think um- Kevin, thank you very much for joining us today. Really appreciate your time. But let's start off with with the Irish EV Owners Association. What is it?
2: Yeah, good question. Um, It's basically an association of people who own or want to own or are curious about the electric vehicle world in Ireland. Um, And there's sort of two variants of that. One is the majority of people who are private owners, family, person, just driving to work, that kind of stuff who either own the car or, again, like I said, are interested in owning one in the future and kind of have questions or just want to see what the community's doing what troubles they're running into and seeing about this whole, like, quote-unquote, lifestyle change that comes with owning an EV. And then the other side of the same coin is business owners and these can be small business owners sole traders in a van that kind of stuff but but also fleet operators and um, so those two um, are kind of the the main body of people that we then as an association as a voluntary association uh, with a committee of 11 folks um represent and we represent those people with um public bodies local councillors tds anyone basically who needs to hear about what's going on with the actual kind of day-to-day ownership of an EV.
0: Okay, so you said that there's a committee of eleven people, um, and obviously you're going to have a lot of members. Is it a, a big group, or where do you meet, or talk, or how
2: does that work? We meet on Zoom. Uh, <laughs> the pandemic benefited us in that we all talk for the most part uh, through Slack, Zoom, all that kind of. We use we leverage all that technology, but um, there's a couple of things to get engaged with the membership. So as a as a committee, there's no point in us just going around t- talking about what we want and what we think about. The membership themselves tell us what they want through a couple of different mediums. The first is we do regular meetups, and these tend to take the form of going to a place where there's charging infrastructure, meeting up with a few folks, having some coffees, nothing too crazy. The other one is, and we've got it coming up in April this year, is we have an AGM where we'll book a hotel space or something similar to that um, and get everyone in a room. And they that's where people field motions for the year and kind of talk about, it. here's actually what's on my mind. Here's the agenda. And if you look back after, over the last few years, you see the agenda shifting. Because so when I joined or when I started thinking about these things, um, it was about five years ago, I think. And at that point, you're talking about like the Maven group. You're not even at early adopter stage in the EV ownership cycle. So you're talking about people who are getting into car parks to talk about the drag coefficient and how that affects their battery. Um, then you move into the mass adoption phase where you've got people like, uh, you've got a lot of like Nissan Leaves and things like that at the very, very early phases. Now we're we're way in, right? So everyone has an EV or everyone's going to have an EV. And that's the end of that. So you can see all of it switching from car ownership, what it's like to own the car, how the car feels, looks, all that kind of stuff, all the way down to don't care, there's a million cars on the road now, it's all good. We can, whatever car shape, size, or performance you want is probably available on the market. It's now what's the charging infrastructure? What's the lifestyle that's going on? How are the government enabling all of this stuff? How are we impacting our, how are we impacting like fossil fuel forecourts, all those kind of things? That's a big shift for us. So it's moved less from, what it's like to own the car into like what's the ecosystem around the car.
0: Okay. I'm glad you touched on that now, because one of the the reason that we, we kind of wanted to get you on today was we saw that report. Uh, it was very, it was an excellent report about the deficit of chargers and we're going to talk in a bit more detail about that in the moment, but I just thought there's going to be a few people here listening today we're going to use some terminology like fast charger or DC, and they're they're just going to switch off. Like, I, I don't know what he's yep. talking about. So let's just spend a few seconds on on the basics. So what is AC charging or DC charging? What's the difference there?
2: Yeah, the, the way to think about it is each car is basically a skateboard. It's got four wheels, hopefully, and a battery in between those four wheels. And one or four or some number between those two has a motor on them. For the most part, most cars have a motor on the rear wheels. So the rear axle has a motor on it and that's attached to the battery. The battery then powers that motor and the car goes. That's the basics of what an electric car is. It's way, way, way simpler than any fossil fuel internal combustion engine car. There's way less parts involved. Like the only moving parts are basically the brakes and the wheels themselves. Um, And it's all really, really direct. Like The power is very easily routed from the battery over to the wheels because electrons move very fast. That's basically the guts of it. So that's the first point. The second thing then is on that car, there is a, a there's basically an AC to DC transformer that moves the the energy that comes from a plug from AC, which all your house and all the normal kind of plugs in your, your life use to DC because the battery itself is a DC battery. DC is really fast, direct current. The difference on a public charger on the road or on this, you know, in a four court or whatever is if it's AC, the way to think about it is it's generally slower. So it hits the car, the car then translates that to DC and then charges the battery. When it's a DC charger, which tends to be much faster, and that's when you see those much bigger boxes or the Tesla superchargers or any of those kind of things. They're DC. That's directly just plugging into the battery and charging much, much quicker, which basically translates to if you're using AC charging, you're probably there for a longer window of time, might even be overnight, um, depending on the charger. And that's what you're probably getting out of your house as well. DC charging are the much bigger units that are much, much faster where you're taking just like literally a couple of minutes. You go in to get a coffee, come back, and the job is done. Okay. So
0: what sort of speeds are we talking about? Because I know that you can you can of course plug your your car into even a, a three-pin socket. So yeah, what, what's the kind of variance there? Are we talking, you know, is it a 30-minute a difference or what, what's the spread?
2: Yeah, unfortunately three pins have been called granny charging, and I don't know where that came from or why. Um <laughs> a lot of grannies are very fast. Um so the way to think of it, I'm gonna call it numbers. The numbers themselves don't matter, but they just kind of give you a sense of the scale here. So you plug into a three-pin plug in your house it's your maximum getting two kilowatt out of that. So that's the speed that the car is going to charge from. It's two kilowatts. And your battery might be like, on average, it's about 50 kilowatt hours. So it's going to take a long time for those two kilowatts to fill that 50 kilowatt hour battery. That's like a 20 hour job or something. That's going to be quite a long time. If you get a car charger put on the side of your house, like a Zappi or one of those kind of units on the side, which most people tend to do, particularly if you've got a driveway or the ability to do that, um, you're getting around seven kilowatts. So that's going to be two and a half times faster. That then becomes less of a full day job into like an overnight six hour job to fill an average car battery in, in the in the market today. So it's much easier and that's what most people tend to go for. Um, also, those two are really uh, interesting options if you've got stuff like solar panels. So a lot of these uh, uh, car chargers will be able to take the excess off the solar panels and charge the car only when there is excess and stuff like that. And the same thing, if you've got a battery in the house as well, they can kind of share the, the battery power between the car and the house. There's a lot of really cool, interesting tech around this. But that's your domestic thing kind of done, unless you've got three phase, which I'd say it's a dozen houses in Ireland have three phase in it, but you can get faster charging out of them. Then you go to like your public charging and that goes to 11 kilowatts, which again is slow for public charging. That is your AC charging that I mentioned before, or 22, which is a faster version of AC, but it's still not super, super fast. You're still talking a couple of hours to get a full charge out of them. Then you get into DC charging, which is much, much faster. And again, these are like the much bigger units. If you see those ESP things, they're huge. Things are easy to go of a big, huge unit as well. That's when you get into DC charging and it kind of starts at 50 kilowatts. So you think we started with the three pin plug, which is two all the way up to 50. Now you're just talking a few minutes. Then we go into much faster things. We've got like 100 and 150 is actually quite common on um, motorway kind of journeys when you're stopping off and any of the big high capacity chargers or again, the Tesla superchargers. And now Tesla have a couple sites in Ireland where you've got 250. So it's going to get faster and faster over time. Like f- for now, if you go to an average fast charger, if you plug the car in and go in and get a coffee next door and come back, the car is probably at the limit that you want it to be at, right? The other benefit of this is you don't have to go talk to people, not that we're all antisocial or anything, but you, you don't have, there's no faffing with this. You just plug it in. There's generally an app or a QR code you scan. It starts charging the car and then you're free to do whatever you want. And um, So it's actually a big benefit to four courts because a lot of the margin they're getting is out of coffee and sandwiches and stuff like that. So you're focused on getting coffee, sandwiches, going to the loo, changing an nappy, whatever it is, um, and the car is off in the background charging for you, which is great.
0: Excellent. Okay. Well, look. I think we'll we'll move on just to talk about this study now. So I, I'll let you introduce it. But it was about a deficit of charges and and people who are listening to this podcast now regularly they might have a couple of you know myself and Paddy doing these longer trips. Paddy would go to Cork a lot, but we also did one where we drove all the way from Misenhead, uh six hundred kilometers back up to 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 Malinhead and Donegal. So we did a lot of charge, and there was about fifteen hundred kilometers overall, in two or three days. Mm. And we've used a lot of these, a lot of these fast chargers, but in a car like the Mercedes-Benz EQS 450, I mean, in winter conditions, we knocked 600 kilometers out. It's incredible, but not everybody drives those kind of cars. So you've got to stop and charge. And I'm seeing queues now uh, come across the odd charger that's broken. So can you just uh, off the back of that, just, just introduce what that study was about the deficit of chargers. Just tell us a little bit about the background of it and how you, you
2: came up with that. Yeah, there's a couple of things. So uh, two of our committee members, uh, Matthew and Eamon, are engineer heads. Uh, So there's a a big variance and a lot of diversity in the types of people on the committee. Those two guys are very, very engineering. And um, they wanted to look at the numbers and find out like what is actually happening on the Irish roads? Because we can make loads of assumptions. We have our own stories. Members give us stories all the time. It's all brilliant. But what is actually going on day to day is an interesting, or or what's going on day to day, but also how do we plan for the future is a really important narrative for us. So like I said, we've gone from the narrative of like, what's it like to own a car to, we can assume that's all kind of like pretty buttoned up now uh, to like, what's the ecosystem? And what we're basically assessing here is the ecosystem isn't ready for today. So what do we need for the future? And considering that in 2035, the EU's now regulation say that we're not going to have fossil fuel cars sold, we can assume that there's We're already at the point where everyone wants to get an electric car as their next car. But if you're getting in towards 2030, the the chance of anyone buying a fossil fuel car is quite low. Because why would you buy a car that in five years time is going to be banned from sale anyway? Right, so we're going to see a huge adoption curve in the next few years on this. um, And we're obviously hoping that that spills into second-hand cars and just the ecosystem around EVs getting much, much healthier. And we could talk about that in a few minutes. But basically, this means there's a just transition starting to happen. We're starting to see more and more uh, proliferation of EVs on the roads. That includes fleets, et cetera. What's actually happening when you're driving on the road? Right. So we talked about the home charging situation. That's preferable for most people. We do a survey every year where we're around about 80 to 90% of all the respondents say that they charge at home. But that's be, that's probably the type of person's going to buy an EV right now, right? If you have a house with a driveway or some facility that allows you to charge regularly, an EV makes a lot of sense. If you don't, if you're in an apartment or you're renting or whatever, and you have someone who, who's blocking you from getting a charger and you're reliant on public charging the situation is very different for you and you're not filling in that survey in a positive way. So we decided to take a survey to go like, okay, if we look at the average journeys that are quite long, like not the ones where you're going to the shops or going to, to, um, crash or whatever. Um, when you're going to M7, M9, all those big roads in Ireland going from Dublin, Cork, Dublin, Waterford, Galway, et cetera, et cetera. What are, what's going on in those and what does it mean, um, for you in an EV when you plan that? Because the ideal situation, you don't plan at all. (laughs) You just rock into whatever forecourt is there because you need a coffee and you plug the car in while you're there, which is what you do with a fossil fuel car. You don't keep and pay attention to the dial as it goes down. You know you're pretty comfortable that you're going to be able to pull into a forecourt and fill it up with petrol or diesel. We want that to be the same case for EVs. What we're seeing is when you go to a forecourt or a car park somewhere that has charging infrastructure, there's a unit there that maybe serves two or three cars at the same time. What that leads to is then, as you say, at peak hours or peak times or when there's an event on we're seeing queues. So what Eamon and Matthew did on the committee is they looked at on those roads how many forecourts are there, so how much services are provided on those roads for drivers and then how many are how many of those have EV charging and how does that compare to all of the fossil pumps that are on the road. So we look at some of these roads we then come up with a little formula that says like on the road from Dublin to Cork, for example it's currently rated at minus 19 which says that there's, 90, there's a, a deficit of 19 chargers on that road right now we did this for a whole bunch of routes and there's a nice table on the website if you go to it and check it out and it basically just shows that all of the roads have a deficit some worse than others but absolutely none of them are in the right place that's based on data for today right in the next few years we're going to see a much bigger proliferation of evs we need to kind of make people aware both the four court operators Um, operators like EasyGo, ESB, et cetera, et cetera, as well as Zevi, who's the government agency in charge of all this, aware of actually how far behind we are and where we need to go to get this, to like even just reach parity with where the top of the funnel is with car buyers all the way down to like where we're actually uh, providing a proper and appropriate service for everyone on the roads. And it just gets worse because people are going to buy the EVs. So we need the infrastructure to be there for them.
0: Okay, and I'm I'm looking at that table now on the website. So if someone does want to go and, and view it, it's Irish And just there on the news section, you can you can click onto it all the chargers and see it. And the numbers are astonishing. And just looking at one here, which is the, the M1. So Dublin Belfast. And that's a road that I live very close to and I use a lot. So it's saying that there's a deficit of 13 chargers today in 2023. What yeah. just tell me a little bit, just you know, kind of in a nutshell. What does that mean? That there's a deficit of 13 chargers.
2: Yeah, to facilitate the amount of cars that are on the road that use the M1 uh, on any frequency, it doesn't really matter. The busiest period means that if we, if we wanted to have no queues with an easy service for everyone, we would need 13 more chargers on that road.
0: That's 13 more DC chargers. So these are the fast ones
2: that are 50 yeah. kilowatts and above ideally. Yeah, the big goal for us is like no queues. If you pull in and there is a charging infrastructure there, There should be no queue. There's rarely a queue at a fossil fuel pump, right? Like they build extra capacity around those fossil fuel uh, uh, forecourts so that you don't have queuing. Because they they fossil fuel operators as well. Keep in mind, they want you out of the car. They want you in the shop. So we want the same thing. We want the exact same service provided to those folks. But right now we're at real kind of first principles thinking where it's just like literally getting charges into cars can be difficult. Um, like I, I think some of the genesis of this came from um, the All-Ireland last year, ironically, where you had Dublin, Gal- or uh, you had, I'm from Dublin, so I assume Dublin's in all of them. Um, we had Kerry and Galway. And we had folks traveling from both of those places up to Dublin and then back again in the same day. And every single charge point along the road didn't matter what car you had, what operator you're using to charge your car had massive, massive queues. People were waiting up to ninety minutes to get a charge. That's crazy. And these are on main normal roads. These are these are not like side roads or anything. That doesn't make any sense.
0: That's I suppose that's just it's not good enough really if we are to to look at hitting our targets over the next decade. So just on that point as well. What we do in the AA is every month we kind of round up the statistics on car sales, um, and I have a look at the the electric ones in more detail. So sales to date, uh, here we are, we're recording this now on the 3rd of March, so sales to date just for January and February, 5,900 EVs and 3,000 plug-in cars. So let's call that 9,000 cars with a plug on them sold in the first two months. Yep. Now, if I look at the table, really, really great table that you guys have up there, deficit of 13 today on that road we spoke about, but that's gone out to 24, to 48 in 2027, and to 96 in 2030. So yep. it seems to me that there is a serious crunch coming. Is that fair to say?
2: Yeah, and I would also say those the numbers as we go forward are probably conservative. I think the, the growth rate of EV is going to be much bigger than we think, because what we're considering is the math that we can do is, as you mentioned, the net new going into the market. So people buying new cars, is a couple of thousand every single month. Um, that's growing quite aggressively. Also to belabor that point, the plug-in hybrid cars, that number is dropping. I think the people who were buying those cars are just buying full-on battery electric cars now. Um, so that number is going down while the battery electric's going up, which is accelerating that number. And then what we're gonna see in the next few years is a whole pile of cars going to the second-hand market while people upgrade to a new electric car and then sell their existing electric cars. Like, I think that compounds the issue. So I think even that number, when you talk about 90 something chargers on the roads, that's comparable to what we need for fossil fuel. And we 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 do well there, um, but we need to start to think about the future of this. And like, it's a public private partnership gig. It's not just the government going and, you know, dropping chargers in everywhere. The government's role here is to advocate for it, but also to make sure that the grid is capable of this. Um, like if I look at our, our they're not really our neighbours, but our, our friends in Norway, Um, they look at their grid and consider in the grid how many rapid charges can you do simultaneously. And the last time I looked at it, which was last year, was about 3,500 simultaneous fast or rapid chargers uh, can run to fill up those cars. We're nowhere near that. Nowhere near it. Not even close. But let me just, I just want to almost
0: challenge you on something here, Kevin, because I remember a few months ago reading um, a statement from the Department of Transport saying that we have adequate chargers on the road for today.
2: So that doesn't tally up with what you're telling me now. That's f- frankly, because they were wrong. <laughs> like, it's not true. Like, we're we, again, I can give you plenty of stories from actual people, who are sitting at chargers waiting at queues. So today is Friday. Great example of a day. If you're going down to Cork tonight, the chances are there's going to be more uh, charging at the queues than there is typically. We have people who are leaving work early or going to different uh, spots around the country earlier than they would typically, or even later because they're trying to get around the fact that there will be a, a, a queue at that charger. The other thing that happens is if you look at urban areas like Cork, Dublin, Galway, etc., um, where there is chargers. So I live on the N2 in Dublin. There's a Circle K with a charger uh, here near me, uh, just across the road from um, Glasdam Cemetery. Tonight, if you wanted to charge, you're going to probably be behind a bunch of taxis, right? So, like that, the taxi should be there. They should be using charging infrastructure, is brilliant that they're electric, but there just should be more chargers. <laughs> like, the problem isn't the cars; it's the, the lack of infrastructure. So, if you own an apartment, you're absolutely going to rely on that because the chances of your landlord putting in a charger for your apartment is low. So, we need the infrastructure just to get better. Okay.
0: And uh, another piece of news that's
2: come out recently enough is that the
0: the combustion engine sales ban that we have been looking at for 2030 looks like it's been extended out to 2035. What would be your take and the IRTV owner's take on that?
2: Yeah, look, uh, uh, you'd imagine I would say the sooner the better and we should do it in 2025. But um, actually, I I don't disagree with this. I think it's a bit of a compromise in terms of timelines and dates. And I wouldn't be surprised there's another revision as we get closer to it. But as I say, the top of the funnel is really healthy. If you look at the car sales broadly, like you you just quoted some of this car sales, they're really good. Everyone who wants an electric car can get one now. The supply chain is kind of cooled down a bit. There are loads and loads of options. Like there's tiny cars, there's big SUVs, there's jeeps, there's a whole, vans, the whole lot. Everyone is reasonably well served by the electric vehicle uh, world, and it'll get better because, like I said, at the very very start, that skateboard kind of idea where you've got like four wheels and a battery, anything can happen on top of that. It Doesn't really matter. So I'm I'm hoping we see mad looking things because we don't need like front bonnet on a van <laughs> it doesn't need to be there It can just have a box like all those ups cars are much more boxy they can be way more boxy and way more spacious for what they actually need to do in the future so i'm pretty i'm very excited about what comes to market the, 2020, the 2035 date for me is not about new cars coming to the market. It's actually about facilitating the just transition for the second-hand market and also allowing manufacturers to catch up in Europe because obviously that's a big part of the European economy. Um, VW's done a great job. You mentioned the Mercedes one. There's a whole bunch of manufacturers who are only starting to get the wheels turning, forgive the pun, on manufacturing EV platforms. So knowing that they need a bit of time to do this as OEMs, there's also a bunch of OEMs who are importing in, which is fantastic. Um, but we, I think for me, the 2035 date is really just facilitating the idea that by then, someone like me might go and sell my existing car into someone else in the second-hand uh, 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 market and buy an- another car for my family or whatever the situation requires. That's more important for us because we need more people owning those cars and it can't just be luxury high-end 40K plus uh, cost cars.
0: Okay, well, there's there's a couple more questions there. I think you know we'll look at rounded up shortly and I do have a question I want to ask you, um, because this would be very funny if you tell me that you actually do drive a three liter diesel SUV in the end we get that question <laughs> at the end. But now I just because I know there's people listen to this are going to be screaming some things at it. Um, the way electricity prices have gone, and we've done a little bit of work on this in the background, the AA, and people can go and check out some of the the studies that we've done on it. But a, the, a lot of the criticism now is that electricity is so expensive, you might as well just drive your diesel.
2: Yeah. 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 That's uh, We hear that all the time. And it's a conversation we have. All, like every EV owner has had this conversation once down the pub in the last few months. Um, And my response to it is, right now, that probably feels true, but you got to look at the long term here. The first thing is it took the government four hours to meet to drop excise on fossil fuels when the crisis hit. Um, that's good, right? There's a lot of people impacted by that. We shouldn't be penalizing people because there's a war going on somewhere else and there's, there's supply chain issues, etc. But they shouldn't have just looked after fossil fuel. They should have looked after households with electric cars. Um, and I know households are getting the 200 euro grants and all that kind of stuff. And that helps. But if you have an electric car, your costs are inherently higher with electricity than it would be for someone who doesn't have an electric car. But that cost to diesel or petrol is just offset somewhere else. It's different bills. You don't really feel it. Maybe you don't see it. Um, So I think all of these things, I think it probably balances out reasonably well right now for the average user. But the government has done more for the fossil user uh, as it stands. Right. So that's yeah. the first thing. The second thing is, this will cool down. It will calm down. I know the uh, wholesale prices of gas, which is what we're kind of beholden to, that's dropped. So the next few months, you'll see the cost of running your house uh, drop again. The, the other thing here is, there's a massive thing. We just haven't talked about it today, really, but it's the, the climate impact of this is just. Massive, right? The long tail of this is that we're going to solve for the climate crisis. It's not about just switching everyone from a fossil car into an electric car. We also need to think about the modality of urban areas. Like everyone shouldn't just have an electric car. We should be thinking about cycling and having buses and all that stuff. Where there's a vehicle on the road, it should be electric. And we need to electrify quickly because the climate's not going to slow down. Like it's getting worse and it's going to continue to get worse until we do this. If you're in a household, the couple of things you can do to actually help offset this is one, Get an electric car to plug it into some solar panels, which then completely alleviates a lot of the pain that you have with uh, prices right now. But imagine in the future when the prices cool down a little bit. And again, we're talking about months, not years. um, And you have solar panels on the roof. It offsets it again. And then the third one is kind of a completely different thing is uh, eat less meat. In an average household, if you just do those three things, you've done an enormous amount to help with the climate crisis. There's a lot that needs to happen on a macro level. Don't get distracted by that. But owning an EV is one of the simplest, lowest hanging fruit things you can do in Ireland to offset the carbon uh, issue we have today. The price of electricity is going to come down. It's probably on par today with what's happening with fossil fuels. And that's with fossil fuels having dropped excise, that will will balance and then it'll rebalance again where electricity becomes cheaper. Um, But again, there's no way for a fossil fuel car to be filled from the sun. It's just never going to happen. So think about the long tail of this. The other part of this is, and I know this is an easy one to, to walk out with these things is, the total cost of ownership of an electric car is minor compared to a fossil fuel car. I mentioned this at the start, there's like 10 moving parts and half of them are buttons in the in the cabin. right? There's very little that can go wrong inside of an electric car because there's just a battery on a skateboard. So from that perspective that completely wipes out like I, I, one of the questions i get from a lot of members is like what do the nct guys actually do <laughs> with an electric car like assuming the lights work what else do you do like cuz that's a real question like the brakes aren't even used that much because you've got regenerative braking in most of the cars so like think about the long tail you don't buy a car for a 12 month window and we're currently in a weird 12 month window with the cost of energy but that's going to get much easier, much better. And I think the cost of electricity will drop and it will drop again over the next few years. When we get to 2035, this conversation will sound crazy because in Ireland even, we'll be generating much more power to our grid from wind. More houses will have solar panels on the roofs, et cetera, et cetera. And again, none of that benefits a petrol or diesel car at all.
0: Yeah, that is, like what you just said, there tallies up with the the surveys that we do on petrol prices around the country. And we've now introduced an electric um variant to that as well and it's significantly cheaper even with the astronomical prices we're facing at the moment it is still significantly cheaper to power an ev there are yeah. theoretical cases where they're on parity and um, if you take a very fast motorway drive um and you charge only on the public charger yes they're about the same but in general much cheaper look i think we're we're kind of running out of time or we're getting towards the end so uh, do you drive a, a 3 litre diesel SUV cabiner? Basically, I don't, what do you
2: drive? <laughs> I don't. I drive a Tesla Model Y. Okay. Uh, t- can you tell me why Why did you go for the, the Model Y? Um, I Well, I, to give you the story, a couple of years ago, I bought a Model 3 um, and if the Tesla guys are correct, it was one of the first 15 on the road in Ireland, uh, but they could be lying to me. Um, So I went in and that experience was mad because electric cars were weird, Teslas were weird, they still are. Um, And I went into the shop and they're like, Ran through like how to use the car, like I've, like I've never, no one's bought a car like this before. Where you sit down and have like a weird lecture with four other owners, and they kind of walk through the whole day. I don't like to do that anymore. But anyway, uh, then the pandemic happened, and we ended up having two kids in the three years between then and now. So I ended up then upgrading to a Model Y. Um, it's, I say upgrade is basically the same car; it's just bigger fits the kids better. It's actually the boot is what I bought it for. Um, but then I sold my Model 3 to my mother-in-law. So my mother-in-law is driving around a dual motor, red, sporty <laughs> car where I'm driving a SUV thing.
0: It's a fine car. I think off the top of my head, I have 854 litres of uh, of luggage capacity in, in that. Yeah. You um, need every single one of those litres. I hear you. But look, I have to say, Kevin, uh, I really enjoyed this conversation with you. I appreciate you taking time out of your own day um, to come on here talk about the Irish EV Owners Association, but also specifically to go through that study and that report that you guys released. It really is fantastic. So go on to theirishevowners.ie. So, Kevin, thank you very, very much for joining us today. Not at all. Thank you. So that was our interview with Kevin Dowling and really appreciate him taking the time to come on with this. Some really interesting points. I thought that the survey is is fascinating. This deficit of chargers is a really, really interesting way to look at it. But Paddy, what, what are your thoughts? So obviously we, we had a good discussion with Kevin there about the state of the infrastructure in Ireland. It's obviously lacking. We need a lot more points. What's your take on it? Because we've both driven a lot in of electric miles over the last few years, but you do a lot of trips down the country, 600 kilometres in a weekend. What's your impression of the...
1: For me, I, I've, I've never really encountered many problems in terms of volume of chargers. I use Ionity a lot, and the Dublin Cork route that I use, it's fine. The problem I have are the users or the people who aren't clued into how to use them. I posted out up something recently... Where I was at Manor Stone and there was a uh, PHEV plugged in on one side, and on the right-hand side there was Volkswagen ID. Four, which was plugged into the AC charger. So neither of the fast charging points were accessible. No one could fast charge because of those two vehicles. Oh, plus the ID. Four was parked in the middle of two spots, and and you know I posted the picture online. It was absolutely maddening. You had a similar experience in Drata the other day. What yeah. was that one?
0: Yeah, I, I plugged up. There's a fast charger there. There's a, a there's two spots, parking spots, uh, places laid out in front of that machine. And the, the the main one that's directly in front of the DC charger was occupied by a rather large Range Rover, uh, a plug-in hybrid, and that had been there for three and a half hours, and it was only drawing two kilowatts. And then the spot beside it, there was an ID3 parked up, not even plugged in. So this is somebody who just pulled up, said, oh, there's an EV spot." I'm just going to park there because this is a busy car park. I'd like to think it was simply just a lack of education.
1: I know it was. It was kind of blatant. Like it, even if they attempted to put plug it into the AC charger.
0: Which was actually taken by the Range Rover yeah, F yeah. so but anyway, and uh, so there that was a unit that was sitting there for for three hours unused as a fast charger. So now ESBE cars are going to show us the statistics and say, well, look, nobody used that for four hours that day, and in fact, cars would have been driving by looking
1: for a charge because we're not far away from the the point of it being a capacity issue. It's really not far away. Like I mean, if you get to if you're in Circle K in Cashel on any given Sunday, it's it's tricky. There are like ionities constantly full and there are people waiting for them. And this is at the volume of EVs we have now. And that's just going up exponentially. How we're going to cope with their main arterial routes yeah, I, remains to be seen.
0: I would go one further, Paddy. I think we're there. We're at that crunch point already. And, you know, I've been driving EVs for a number of years now. And, and you know, I, I, I like them, thoroughly enjoy driving them. And it's just getting that little bit harder to recommend them now because I know the pinch
1: points. And as you said, it's getting worse. Well, it, it goes to back to the point of the other day when I was in the Aura Funky Cat and I was going to Middleton and back. By the end of the day, I wish I'd taken the Skoda Octavia diesel we have yeah. at home.
0: We just we don't want to be in that position because the car itself, you know, put on the adaptive cruise control, it's great. It's quiet. It's silent. You know, it's really, really comfortable to drive. And then it's just, oh, yeah, you pull up somewhere. There's somebody waiting.
1: But but whose job is that, Blake? Whose job is the education? I mean, when what, what the guy who plugged who parked in between two spots in an ID four? You know why has that happened? Because he he's a on the wrong charger, and b he's an asshole because he's parked in the middle of two spots. So like, what? Where is the education there?
0: sounds like a not very nice person to put it politely who hmm. just and parks in the they middle they of two spots no they matter what it you know? always exists right yeah I mean I my, my take is I I put a lot of the blame at the government like at the moment the business case for companies to put in chargers is it, it's a very difficult case to make I mean you know a decent 50 kilowatt unit is going to be 40 50 grand. Thereabouts, you know, you've got network connections, planning permission. And even you look at like what e- EasyGo are trying to do. They're making a great effort. A small Irish company deserve a huge amount of praise for what they're doing, but they just can't get planning permission. So now what they're doing in some places, they're taking old phone boxes because they don't have to get planning permission to run a cable under the road and into the phone box, which they can then turn
1: into a charger. But is the problem now, Blake, not charging on, on slower chargers. I mean, if for most people commuting or driving around and they they can charge at home and if they don't have a charger at home, right, then maybe they have to try and find another solution. But for me anyway, the bulk of the issue is on crossing the country, because if you're crossing the country, you're on the way somewhere. You don't have six or seven hours to charge. You want to do it in 40 minutes or or shorter if possible. And it's that that is where I see the pain point being, in that you're getting to a point where people are trying to get to Galway or Cork or wherever it is, and they're going to have to wait because if you're if you're at a charging point and it's a fast charging point, and you have to wait forty minutes for your forty minute charge, you know that's too long.
0: Yeah, it's not, and people are not going to to make that transition over, and you're absolutely right. For me, that is the problem, um, and. I'm not fully happy with how, as a country, we're going about that transition. So the idea of having one DC charger every 10 kilometres between Dublin and Cork, and you go, oh, look, that's loads of chargers. No, that just creates pinch points and problems. What we need is every 50 kilometres having five DC chargers. So the idea is you get into your car, even if you've got an older, low-range car, oh, I might get 150 kilometres out of it on the motorway at full speed. If you go somewhere and you know there's a bank of 10 chargers there, Okay, I might have to wait for two or three minutes the same way you do the odd time for petrol or diesel, you know, but you know you're only waiting for five minutes and then you're on for 20 minutes and then you're gone again. And we need these hubs. That's absolutely what And you look at, you know, around Europe, Norway, but even over in the UK, grid server, putting in these amazing things where they've got a few acres of solar panels, they've got battery storage backup on site, panels on the roof, they have 250 kilowatt chargers, all the way down to small AC ones for people who are
1: staying for an hour. And we need these hubs. It's just, but the older cars could become the problem because if you are you could have a bank of 10, 150 kilowatt chargers, but if six of the cars that are there are only taking fifty, you're still in the same backlog, right? Yeah, you.
0: Yeah, I. Put it like a car like that, it's going to have a smaller battery because it's an older car. So even an old Nissan Leaf, you plug it in at fifty kilowatts. I mean. That thing's gone from 10 to 80% up in about 20 minutes anyway, yeah, and it's kicking on the way. And that's another thing that people have this idea, well, they need to go and fill up, because that's what we've done for a century with, with petrol and diesel, and that's not the way that it works with an EV. And as you know, there's a charging curve, so you plug in on a low state of charge, it ramps up. I saw 250 kilowatts in a Tesla mm-hmm. recently, you know. So what you need to do is turn up in your 10%, Blast up to 50 if you're in a rush, you know, 15 minutes or something like that. And then you're on again. Like I did Malin Head down to Mizzen Head during the summer in the Tesla Model Y. 605 kilometres. I didn't even start off at 100%. I started off at 80%. All I needed was 17 minutes on a supercharger going from 10% up to 50%. And it was right the way down to Mizzen. Mm -hmm. And that's what we need to get to.
1: Because my my commute at weekends is draw to Milton. and back in the same day. And that's where I run into difficulty in an EV because if I was going down and staying there right that's fine but when you're going down and turning around after a while and coming back again that's where you I find I run into difficulties now I end up stopping at Cashel-Lionides for about 20 minutes each direction but if that doesn't work or there's some issue I'm into a trickier situation then
0: yeah and if we get to the stage where there's let's say even between the likes of Dublin and Cork if we've got seven, eight, nine charging hubs on the way so that's what every 30 kilometres give or take you know and you just know, I'm going to turn up, I'm going to go from 20 up to 50%, and I'm only going to go to 50%, Paddy. I'm going to cut off then, because I know once I get down to Cork, I'm going to leave it in that car park, I'm going to go to the cinema with my friend, and then I'm going to come back out to 100%, and I'm all the way home again. And you won't even think about it at that stage.
1: Yeah. So look, I think it's, it's behaviour needs to be looked at, and I, there's an education piece to be done there, because the charges are getting better. If they get more frequent, we won't have an issue. Cars are getting better, range is getting better, batteries are getting better but we have to look at the behaviour behind
0: it absolutely and we will do our best we've got a few videos coming out about that as well over you know, the next few months
1: so that's it for this week's AA Ireland podcast we hope you enjoyed the show we will be back next week with a very interesting chat with Barry Kenny from Irish Rail Barry has been the head of corporate communications there for 29 years he's a fund of information on all things rail and uh, we'll chat with Barry next Wednesday for now have a great week